Last season, the Seahawks inducted two new members to the Ring of Honor. And according to team president Chuck Arnold, number 15 should be coming in 2022. Which candidates have a chance to have their names up in the rafters next year? We'll be breaking down all the candidates on the latest offering of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Join me for our Wednesday episode, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got a jam-packed Wednesday episode coming your way. We're going to be checking out some potential candidates to be the 15th member of the Ring of Honor inducted during the 2022 season. Going to be taking a look at the free agent situation for defensive tackle Al Woods. Will he be back for another year with the Seahawks and much more? Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Over the years, the Seahawks have developed a reputation for having one of the loudest, most intimidating venues in the NFL. You can make an argument in professional sports. And when the Seahawks were making runs to the Super Bowl and deep into the postseason in the early 2010s, nobody wanted to play at CenturyLink Field. But that home field advantage has dissipated some in recent seasons, including the Seahawks going 3-5 and five last year on their home turf. First time they've had a losing record there in over a decade, a very disappointing season all the way around, but especially the effort in front of home fans. And you can see that some of that luster that's been there with this being such an iconic stadium revered for the noise, that luster just was not there last season. So Chuck Arnold on KJR on Monday, President's Day show, said that they're going to be implementing a few changes to try to help that fan experience and get Lumen Field rocking like it used to be. Most notably, Rob, they are putting in two bigger video boards in the north end zone, flanking the Hawks' nest. So that's going to be a nice addition to a stadium that, I can't believe I'm saying this, but is now 20 years old. It is crazy to say that. 20 years old, my goodness. Um, but I think, I think the, the the simplest uh, solution to the fact that that, does, it, that Seattle crowd has felt a little bit flat over the last couple of years, Corbin, is just to, I don't know, win a little bit more. And that's one of the things that you know we've been talking about here over the last couple of weeks. I feel very confident that Seattle is going to have the significant back upswing, uh, you know, this upcoming season, just because they are going to be played at the fourth place schedule. You are presumably going to be having your, your quarterback stay healthy, uh, you know, and, and the rest of your roster stay a little bit more healthy than they did this past season. I think that's something that, that we need to kind of continue to, to mention that, uh, you know, Seattle had some issues along the offensive line with injuries, quarterback with injuries, running back with injuries, uh, you know, and, and if you have a just a little bit more consistency there, then I, I do think that that you are going to see a lot more success on the field. But let's go back just to the conversation about the stadium. I think that the fact that uh, that you are going to be adding those two big, uh, you know, screens up there is going to add a little bit more excitement. I I, I think that the fans are going to be excited just to hear in person a little bit more 
frequently blue thunder back a, a little bit and you know they have been they have just made that that the the seattle stadiums so much more of that college environment and i, I think that that is one of the things that we can all expect you know for years there, it felt like it wasn't just the 11 men who were on the field for Seattle on offense, defense, or special teams. It was the 12th man um, that every opponent knew that they were not going to be just playing those 11 players on the field. They're going to be playing against the 12th man as well. And I do think that that is something that Seattle is going to be able to bring back. And when they start winning a little bit more consistently, I feel very confident you're going to hear the 12th man them loud and proud in that voice behind them and make Seattle the incredible uh, you know, difference-making crowd that they have been in years in the past. Yeah, I think you can add video boards, you can add different upgrades to your stadium, but I think it's telling. I mean, I I understand that, again, this is a 20-year-old stadium. You have to start making some upgrades to keep it near the top of the NFL stadiums because you have all these new stadiums that have been built in the last five to ten years. And so Lumen Field, as old as it is now, maybe it's not viewed as one of the top five or top ten best stadiums. And so they're trying to keep up with the Joneses without rebuilding a new stadium. And to do that, you have to put in new video boards and stuff like that. So it is an exciting development, but I agree with you. This would not be as necessary if your football team was winning games. And for the most part, for the last decade, that's what they have done. But even going back to 2017, this is not a one-year issue. The Seahawks have had consistent problems winning games at home. They did go 7-1 and one in 2020, but that was just a weird year because there were no fans in the stands. There was there was a home field advantage regardless. You had nobody in the stands. It was, you know, you could hear a pin drop in that stadium. And so that doesn't really count. But dating back to 2017, including playoff games, Rob, the Seahawks are 24-17 and 17 in home games. That's a 58% win rate. That is not near good enough considering the fans, the crowd that the Seahawks have there, the talent they've had in the roster. We're talking some really good playoff teams that have had trouble winning at home. And I don't know that this is necessarily an issue that's only affecting the Seahawks. Last year, teams on the road fared much better than they have in the past. Maybe it's just that much tougher for home teams to have that kind of advantage. But it hasn't felt like that same volume has been ramped up by the fans. And some of it has been the team has not been as good, especially last season. So winning cures all. You want to get the fans uh, getting the decibels up to 120 or whatever again. The way you're doing that is by going out and winning football games and playing at a high level. Not just winning, dominating opponents. Something we just have not seen the Seahawks do recently. While that's a, develop, that's a development that fans will be excited about with new video boards they get to watch the games and replays off of. One development fans won't be so encouraged by. They've been begging for throwback uniforms. You and I know that because it feels like every other mailbag we're getting asked, what are they bringing back their 70s and 80s throwbacks? Well, you're going to have to wait at least one more year, according to Arnold. He told Softy Mahler on KJR on Monday that they've made good progress. Now that there's no longer a one-helmet rule, they can have a silver helmet, but they're working through retail-related things with their uniforms and they're not going to have time to get them ready for the 2022 season. So you won't see the Royal blue uniform, silver pants, silver helmet back until at least 2023, much to the chagrin of the 12s everywhere. Well, and and you just hit it. I mean, it's, it's about money. 
uh, both from the, the Seahawk and their retail perspective. I mean, they want to be able to sell those, uh, you know, those throwback uniforms in, in their stores and online and, and generate some money off of that. And I think, Hey, all, you know, they, they deserve that, that opportunity. I, I think that money is one of the reasons why the, the you know, the, the 12s have not been quite as, as uh, boisterous as they've been in the past, because frankly, they they've sold some of their tickets to rival fans. They've put their those tickets online, and you know the the, the Seahawks are, are have been a fun crowd for a long, long time, Corbin. And all those successors, a lot of fans out there who are not the true blue hardcore Seahawk fans out there that help propel this team to having the most dominant home field advantage in all of professional sports. As again, you you kind of hinted at it when we first had this conversation and helped the Seahawks, uh, you know, get to their those back-to-back Super Bowls a couple of years ago. I think the fact that there are so many fans out there who have sold their tickets, just put them online, and there's been a lot of uh, fans out there of other NFL teams who have been willing to put their hard-earned dollars out there, and then the, the crowd has been a little bit less you know, blue and green and silver and a little bit more red and gold and all and you know green or whatever, whatever the other colors are of the opposing teams out there. And so that's to me, is one of the biggest things here is again money but i think that when you're coming off a season like seattle just had in 2021 where it felt like there were times that this team was just on the cusp of actually being pretty damn good and the fact that a team one of your rivals just won the super bowl i think that there are a lot of hardcore seahawk fans who frankly and i don't like to use this word very often in our show but frankly a little bit pissed off and they're thinking you know what damn it let's let's play a little bit of ball and and let's come back 2022 let's show what that 12th man can do let's show what the Seahawks can do let's show what a motivated Russell Wilson can do with those different uh you know the the video screens and all of that kind of stuff and the the promise that uh that there are going to be those throwback uniforms the the likelihood is we're going to talk about a little bit later that there is going to be a 15th person put up there on, on the ring of honor I think that there is a lot of excitement kind of quietly brewing here in the Pacific Northwest and again it's going to be on the Seahawks. They got to win. But if they do, I feel very confident the 12th man, 12th woman is going to be there in full throat. Yeah. And like Chuck Arnold said, the big thing is that they have to feel out what the fans want. And this is no longer a just Sunday survey type thing. Year round, you need to be gauging what fans want, what they're interested in. That's the era that we live in. And so the team, the the organization, your front office, everybody, they are trying to figure out what they can do to make this environment most ideal so their fan base can live up to its name. The 12s can be boisterous once again. The biggest key, though, of it all, you can have all these trinkets in your stadium, but you better win football games. And so that's what it's going to boil down to. You start winning some of those games at home, it's going to start getting louder again just by default. That is the key here. Coming up next, we're going to continue our free agent primers going to the trenches. Al Woods had a big season at 34 years of age, now heading to free agency once again. Will the Seahawks bring him back or not? Rob and I are going to discuss and debate. Football might be over for the season, but basketball is in full steam at both the pro and college level. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props, to where the next fired coach is going to land, betonline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. 
BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds. And we hope baseball as well. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make sure you're following the Locked On NFL podcast, Locked On Experts, covering the biggest stories from around the NFL every Monday through Friday in less than 30 minutes. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Continuing to go through Seattle's 15 unrestricted free agents. Yesterday, I looked at cornerback Sidney Jones, why he will be back, why he won't be. We're going to move up to the defensive line today. And Al Woods, what a season that he had for the Seahawks in 2021. Aside from maybe Quandre Diggs, maybe Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks. I guess if you're looking at consistency, Diggs is probably the only other player that you could maybe say was more consistent than Al Woods last season. Career highs with 50 tackles, 18 quarterback pressures, according to Pro Football Focus. He was at times an unblockable monster in the middle at 335 pounds. He took over games in the trenches. And this is a guy that you and I were both somewhat skeptical when the Seahawks re-signed him, that he was going to be able to make that much of a difference because he was 34 years old. He didn't play at all in 2020. He sat out the entire season. And we're talking a big dude, again, 335 pounds. There were questions. What kind of condition is he going to show up at training camp in? And he answered those questions immediately. He showed up. He was big like we expected, but in outstanding shape, had an outstanding training camp. And all of those concerns were immediately silenced. And again, what a season that he put together. One of the more valuable defenders for the Seahawks. And Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks, all those tackles he made, you can thank Big Al Woods for keeping you free to make those tackles. Just absolutely physically dominant at, at times. I mean, just truly a remarkable season. As you said, Corbin, I mean, um, you know, we both kind of question whether Seattle should be, you know, bringing him back. I mean, I, I certainly made the argument that, you know, go younger, go cheaper. You had Brian Monet out there, been intrigued by what he showed. And then all Al Woods did was become arguably their most consistent defender a season ago. I mean, it's a spectacular season. You, you mentioned some of the numbers, the 50 tackles career high, the, you know, one and a half sacks. People see that one and a half sacks. They think, oh, he didn't make an impact. I mean, are you blind? Are you watching this game? I mean, he was unbelievable. The 18 quarterback hits, the five quarterback hurries, both of them career highs. Um, you know, it, it's funny that there's been so many stories told about Al Woods. Uh, you know, a guy coming out of LSU, and you know, he's the he's the farmer. I mean, he looked like a horse out there with the way that he was able to just kind of push people off of the line of scrimmage. I mean, just he he is. I've, I've talked before about the fact that I just didn't see a lot of junkyard dogs uh, on Seattle's defensive line. I mean, junkyard dogs. I mean, he, again, what was just that he was the farmhouse dog. I mean, he was the guy in overalls the way that, you know, Vince Wilfork, there was an old picture of him back in the day wearing a, <laughs> a you know, pair of overalls. I mean, that's no you know, shirt I, underneath. Yeah. Yeah, Bill exactly. Just laughing hysterically. <laughs> 
I mean, that that's exactly what Al Woods was there for, for Seattle. And, and he looked like when the season was really going downhill and it felt like there was very few things to get excited about, Al Woods was still whooping some butt, you know, and, and making the season fun to watch. And, and so I think that, uh, you know, we just kind of listed a whole bunch of reasons uh, of why Al Woods was great this last year. To me, the big conversation, of course, is, is, is he going to be able to duplicate that success this next year? But I think the fact that he was as good as he was, the the fact that he is likely to be able to come in, I, I would expect a, a similar contract to what he had a year ago, one year, two and a half million dollars. Um, you know, the fact that you are expected to be playing a little bit more of a three, four scheme. I mean, at his size, you know, he's six, four listed at three thirty, but probably closer to three sixty. I mean, that might be your perfect nose guard and certainly could play that outside defensive end role, uh, you know, that Red Bryant had played at a similar size previously. I think that his positional versatility along a 3-4 front only increases his value. So I would definitely be one of the guys pounding the table that I think Al Woods should be retained because, again, he is as productive as he was. He is a veteran leader, and he does offer the positional versatility in a potential 3-4 front. I think it almost demands that Seattle bring him back. Yeah, you know, normally when we're doing these segments, we have several pointers why they should re-sign the player and several points why they shouldn't or why the player won't be back. Sometimes it's not them, it's the money to bring him back. In this case, I was having a very hard time coming up with any reasons why he shouldn't be back because I do think that he wants to come back he already stated that the day after their season finale that he was already talking to John Schneider and company about coming back in 2022. So I think that the writing's already on the wall here. And, you know, maybe the only concern you have is the age. And at other positions, I would be more concerned. If we were talking receiver or something like that, 35 years old, that's getting up there. But the Seahawks have had such great success with veteran defensive tackles over the years, whether it's been Tony McDaniel, Kevin Williams towards the end of his career, Atuba Rubin, I can keep naming. They have had a lot of success with guys 30 and older at the defensive tackle position. It seems to be a spot, particularly when you're talking about the nose tackle position, good nose tackles can play into their late 30s in the NFL and still be very effective because while speed is something that is diminished quickly, Brute strength is not. And so a guy like Al Woods, you know he's going to stay country strong. You know he's going to be in good shape. He's going to be 340, 345 pounds. They'll list him at 335. But he's still going to be able to knock people off the ball. And he plays with such energy for a guy of his size. And I think he is the leader by example. Some of the other guys in this defense might be more vocal. We see him get excited when he makes plays and he his celebration dances that he has in the backfield. I mean, you got to give him credit. He's creative with that stuff. Maybe not the belly roll that Brandon Meebane used to have, but <laughs> he knows how to celebrate and enjoy big plays when he makes them, and he did it a lot for them last year. I just think even with his age, how well he played last year, even if he regresses a little bit, he is still the best nose tackle you have in your team. He's durable. This is a guy that plays week in, week out. His teammates love him. They were vouching for him to make the Pro Bowl last year, several of them. And he should have probably been considered, if you're looking at pure nose tackles, he was as good as any nose tackle in the NFL last year. He was just fantastic. So, you know, you look at the age, that would be maybe the one obstacle. Or if you can find a younger option that you think has more upside, I could get that. But 
I would be stunned if Al Woods is not back next year. So I'm saying one year, $2.75 million. You give him a little bit more money than last year because he earned that. But I think that's appropriate for a nose tackle. He wants to be here. Team him back up with Puna Ford. Maybe Akeem Hicks or Calais Campbell can come in and join the party. And then you've got yourself one heck of an interior defensive line. Yeah, I, I would certainly think that uh, that it would behoove Seattle to to try and find some other improvements along their defensive front um, or that that pass rush. But yes, I, I absolutely believe that that the Seattle should be trying to bring Al Woods back for all the different reasons that we just mentioned. So if I was going to switch my my cap here for just a moment, the the age is a factor. Um, you know, that that's an older man there. And he was coming off of a year, as you just mentioned, Corbin, that, that he set out that 2020 COVID season. Um, and, and so he was as fresh as he is going to get. And now, of course, he he played all 16 games for the Seahawks a year ago. You're asking him to do the exact same thing. And I think that there was very limited expectations of what he might be able to do a year ago. And so he just exceeded all those expectations. Well, now those expectations are sky high. And so if he does not live up to that contract, then I think that he could be somebody that Seattle wants to play a little bit of hardball with, because I don't think that there's going to be a lot of other NFL teams out there who are going to be willing to throw that kind of dollars at him. So if we're going to be in the predicting business, then I think that it's going to be a similar contract to what he had with Seattle a year ago, one year, two and a half million. You mentioned one year, 2.75. I think that you have to have a whole bunch of bonuses in there. I think you have to continue to motivate this man because, um, you know, again, those big guys, sometimes, Sometimes they, they get to eating a little bit of jambalaya or whatever, you know, kind of tip of the cap to the LSU, uh, you know, guy there. So I think that you have to make sure that you protect yourself because I just think that if Seattle is indeed going to be switching to more three, four principles, then you have to keep this man as motivated as possible. Because again, he was a difference maker a year ago, but at the same time, the key thing there to say is not just difference maker. It is a year ago. So I, I do think that Seattle has to be able to kind of try to drive a hard bargain to be able to make sure that Al Woods is that difference maker again in 2022. And I don't think they're going to have to worry about trying to spend too much money to bring him back. So really, at the end of the day, I think this could be something both sides want. Again, I'll be very surprised if Al Woods is not back for what would be his fourth season in Seattle and his third stop with the team. And maybe somebody else will throw some money at him, but I'd be surprised with his age. I think both sides want this to work out in 2022. The Seahawks are going to be inducting another member to the Ring of Honor next year after having two inductees during the 2021 season. Of course, Chuck Arnold didn't give any hints who the player is going to be. So Rob and I are going to try to figure it out, looking at a number of potential candidates here coming up in the third quarter. This is the time of year that I've pretty much given up on all of my New Year's resolutions, but not this year. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right. Thanks in large part to Built Bar. It almost feels like it's not really a resolution because I actually enjoy eating them. You can see the two empty boxes downstairs as proof. If you haven't tried Built Bar Puffs, you're missing out. One of the best tasting Built Bars out there. They're protein infused marshmallows, fluffy, marshmallowy, not just a protein bar. They're a treat and covered in 100% real chocolate. Puffs are a fan favorite with some incredible flavors. Coconut marshmallow, my personal favorite, banana cream pie. They're so good. These are going to be your new favorite. All Built Bars, including Puffs, are covered in 100% real chocolate, low-calorie, 
four grams of sugar, four net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs. It's not even close when you're looking at a pre-workout snack. Tons of great flavors for regular Built Bars as well. Coconut Almond this month. They've got white chocolate cookies and cream. Absolutely delicious. New flavors coming out all the time. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCK15 and you'll get 15% off your order. That's LOCK15 for 15% off your order at Built.com. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Wednesday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me as always, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Last season, the Seahawks inducted two new members to the Ring of Honor. Didn't get a chance to do that in 2020. No fans in the stands. It wouldn't have made any sense to induct a new member of the Ring of Honor then. But Matt Hasselbeck and Mike Holmgren, two Seahawks legends, had their names put up in the rafters last year. And according to Chuck Arnold in his interview on Monday with Dave Mahler of KJR, they're going to be inducting a 15th member in 2022, but no hints, of course, no hints last year when they first said they were going to be inducting two new members of the Hall of Fame or two new members to the Ring of Honor. And this year they've got no hints as well. So Rob, what we're going to be doing, and this may seem similar because we we did this last year and Holmgren and Hasselbeck were two of our names that were on the favorites. And obviously they were the selections ultimately that were picked. So we're going to do it the same format as last year. We're going to look at a handful of candidates in the favorite category, the sleeper category, and this year we're adding the way too early category. So we've got a number of worthy candidates that at maybe at some point all of these men will be in the ring of honor, but only one of them gets selected this year. Let's start with the favorites, Rob. In your opinion, who is the number one favorite that isn't in the ring of honor to this point? that ends up getting inducted this year? My number one favorite, you know, Corbin, you just did the the advertisement for Built Bar. You just kind of mentioned that, you know, the the, the runaway favorite, uh, you know, for you uh, was a certain type of Built Bar. I mean, for me, the run, n- number one favorite, the, the runaway favorite is Cam Chancellor. Uh, I just think that when you combine what he did for the Seahawks on the field, off the field, his entire NFL career was in Seattle. The impactful plays that he made in their, you know, lone championship season. Uh, to me, the you know number thirty-one, I, I think, absolutely deserves to be in the Ring of Honor. And that's with all due respect to all the other players that we're going to mention here. Well, we're going to mention roughly a dozen players, and I think you can make a strong argument for all of them. All of them were terrific Seahawks. And, and frankly, going back to an earlier conversation we were having, Corbin, about how I think that the team uh, and, and President Chuck Armstrong can, can just rile up the Seahawks crowd that much more, uh, I think that they can start inducting uh, some of these men into the ring of honor a little bit more consistently. I, I think that it's just a guaranteed way of honoring your heroes, your superstars of the past, uh, you know, while also celebrating your heroes and your superstars of the present, um, you know. So to me, there's a lot of players out there that I think deserve these honors. But at the same time, for me, the cl- the choice is clear. I'm arguing for Cam Chancellor all the way. And I think this is different than some of the other players we're going to be talking about later in the segment that played for the Seahawks in the last decade. And maybe some of them only been out of the league for a year or two. Chancellor's career got cut short by a neck injury, and he's been out of the league since 2017. I believe this next year is the first year he's going to be eligible for the Hall of Fame. Now, I don't know if he ever gets into the Hall of Fame because of how short his career was, but he was a Hall of Fame caliber player 
when he was out there for the Seahawks with the bone jarring hits that he delivered. Vernon Davis can tell you all about those. He took about half of them during his time with the San Francisco 49ers, the big plays in the playoffs, that pick six against the Panthers when they got back to the Super Bowl that year, just a number of iconic plays and really he was the heartbeat of the defense, in my opinion. And so I do think that he's one of the favorites, even though it's only been a few years since he's been out. It's been long enough that I could see the Seahawks going with a more modern candidate this year, somebody that has played very recently and putting number 31 up in the rafters. I'm going to go way back in Seahawks history, though, for my favorite. And if you were listening to me with Ian Furness yesterday on KJR, I talked about Joe Nash and 15 years in the NFL, an undrafted player coming into the league. And within three years, he was a first-team All-Pro in the middle for the Seahawks. Their 3-4 front, their three-man front, he was fantastic. Just an outstanding football player, a mean football player, played with an edge. And he did it for so long, over 200 career games, Rob, from 1982 to 1996. He played like five years into Cortez Kennedy's career. Those two played together. Just an incredible career. And I feel like... A lot of younger Seahawks fans, understandably, they don't know what Joe Nash did. I only got to see a handful of Joe Nash's games late in his career. I've watched some of his 80s games in replay, but I would have had no idea how dominant of a player that he really was. But we got to get Joe Nash in there, one of the iconic players from the 80s that never got enough pub because the Seahawks way up here in the Pacific Northwest, they didn't win Super Bowls. They were not your household name. They were not the America's team like the Dallas Cowboys were. And so there were a lot of really good players that got overlooked. And Joe Nash, kind of one of the poster children of that movement, not getting the recognition he deserves. Get Joe Nash's name up there to me. He's got to be one of the favorites because he's long overdue. He is long overdue. And I think that the Seahawks should have highlighted Joe Nash, uh, you know, a long time ago. And that is the biggest reason why I could argue that I don't think that it's going to happen now. Um, just because I don't know that it's going to actually get the crowd as excited because I don't know that there's a lot of Seahawks fans in today's era that remember the, the greatness that was number 72. I mean, Corbin, I, I have a beard now because I can't grow a mustache as cool as the one that Joe Nash wore for all of those years. I mean, he was spectacular. Um, the middle of one of the great, most underrated defensive lines, not only in Seahawk history, not only in, well, back in the day, AFC history, but in NFL history. Between him, Jeff Bryant, Jacob Green, I mean, just absolutely spectacular. There, there were some out there who used to coin that used to use the term the China wall because they were absolutely unbreakable. And, and Joe Nash was the middle of that defense. So uh, I 100% agree with you. He deserves to be up there. I would be surprised if he is the choice here, just because again, we, we live in 2022 crowd where it, it's the, the, what have you done for me lately kind of mentality. And I just don't know that a lot of fans out there really recognize what Joe Nash brought to the Seahawks, but I certainly do clearly you do as well. I think the Seahawks should recognize Joe Nash. Um, and I think that the NFL, frankly, hasn't given him enough credit um, for, for his contributions to the Seahawks as well. Yeah, one other name we can throw on here. We've talked about Sean Alexander a lot. You got to see Mike Holmgren and Matt Hasselbeck go into the Ring of Honor last year. Walter Jones already is in the Ring of Honor. But the MVP, the 2005 rushing title winner, the, for one year, all-time scoring leader for a single season, Sean Alexander is yet to make his way 
to the Ring of Honor. And Ian Furness was arguing, you just put in Holmgren and Hasselbeck. You've already got Jones in there. It is time to wrap up that historic group from the mid-2000s. Let's get Alexander, number 37, up in the rafters. And I would have no issue with that. I've been arguing Alexander should be getting way more Hall of Fame buzz than he is. Five straight seasons with over 1,100 rushing yards, double-digit touchdowns, a couple of rushing titles. This guy was fantastic and a big-bodied guy that didn't run like a big-bodied guy. He was a glider, but that elegant running style was so fun to watch, especially going behind Walter Jones and Steve Hutchinson. So he is another name certainly to watch. Let's go now to the sleepers. Maybe some names that are maybe being overlooked that have an opportunity to get inducted into the Ring of Honor. Who would be your first sleeper, Rob, when we're looking at candidates for this 15th spot? Well, I think, you know, again, we just mentioned Joe Nash. I think that he could qualify as a sleeper. I think that, uh, you know, the, his running mate, Jeff Bryant, um, you know, doesn't get it nearly as much attention as, say, Jacob Green did. And, and even Jacob Green hasn't got as much attention as he deserves. I think that it's travesty that, that he is not in the Hall of Fame, as we had that conversation yesterday. Um, and, you know, and I, I would say one thing, going back to the, the previous conversation here with uh, Sean Alexander, almost conspicuous by his absence um, just such a spectacular player for the Seahawks. As you mentioned, the, the team's only MVP um, obviously helped Seattle go back to that Super Bowl, uh, you know, qualify for the Super Bowl uh, against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Just a, a, a beautiful athlete in, in so many different ways. Um, well, just how he did glide. So to me, um, again, going back to the, the sleeper candidates, Jeff Bryant would be one that I certainly would mention. If we're going to have that conversation about running backs, however, um, you know, Sean Alexander, as they talked about just a moment ago. I think that you also have to mention a running back who was incredibly productive, incredibly consistent for a relatively short amount of time. And no, I'm not talking about Marshawn Lynch. I think that we have to talk about him in just a moment here. But I think you got to talk about Chris Warren. Number 42 was a spectacular player, and he did play up to his size. So to me, he is another one that I think that we could be mentioning here if we're going to throw out that word sleeper. Yeah, Chris Warren had four, four straight thousand-yard seasons. He started his career as a kick and punt return specialist, evolved into one of the best running backs in football. Two times he was a second-team All-Pro, and we've talked about this a lot. Those teams in the mid-'90s, they were not good. Those were not good football teams. If you put him on the team from the 2000s, 2010s, probably looking at a guy that's putting up six, 7,000-yard seasons – and we might be having Hall of Fame discussions because there were a few years there where he was playing at that type of level, had one year with 15 rushing touchdowns as well. And again, had those numbers playing for a team that struggled to find a quarterback. The offensive line was hit and miss. So overall, a very productive career for Chris Warren. I think another guy that's worth mentioning when we're talking sleepers, going to the defensive side of the football, it's amazing to me that Marcus Trufant only played in one Pro Bowl. He had one Pro Bowl nomination his entire career, and he spent the entirety of his career in Seattle. He was briefly with the Jacksonville Jaguars towards the end of his career, but most of his career was in Seattle. He was a homegrown kid, played at Washington State from the Tacoma area. So to me, that adds another thing to his resume for being in the ring of honor. You know that Marcus Trufant is beloved by the fan base here, but 21 career interceptions, 110-plus pass breakups in his career. He was outstanding and get his hands on the football, was one of the best defensive players on that first Super Bowl team back in 2005. 
I think you look at the production, you look at the class act that he is off the field, the connections that he has to the Pacific Northwest being born and raised here playing at Washington State. That is a player that certainly didn't have a Hall of Fame resume, but he absolutely should be in the ring of honor at some point. So another guy from those mid-2000s teams that I think absolutely belongs up there with his name in the rafters. No, I, again, I, I can't disagree with you. Uh, you know, I, I remember watching Desmond Trufant, uh, excuse me, Marcus Trufant. Oh, I mean, Isaiah Trufant. I mean, the Trufant family are truly legends in in the, in the entire Pacific Northwest area. I mean, I, all, all of them wound up going to, to Wilson High School in Tacoma, you know, playing all over the state at UW with Desmond, uh, you know, Marcus at, at uh, Washington State, and then Isaiah at, at Eastern Washington. Um, you know, all spectacular players, all who played in the NFL. I mean, a spectacular family. And of course, what Marcus Trufant did for the Seattle Seahawks, number 23, was a spectacular player, should be someday in Seattle's ring of honor. But can it, kind of like uh, you know we talked about before with Joe Nash, I just don't know that that moves the needle enough to actually be the guy who is going to get that type of acknowledgement at this point. He probably should. It's probably over, uh, you know, it's probably too late now. And frankly, I think that he should have been acknowledged a little bit earlier. I'm going to mention another guy who who should have been acknowledged a little bit earlier in terms of the ring of honor. He just got the Hall of Fame uh, and that being Steve Hutchinson. Again, as you mentioned, Corbin, about what they've done on the field as well as off the field. Steve Hutchinson left Seattle, of course, wound up going to the Minnesota Vikings, the poison pill, all that kind of stuff. But what he has done for the Seahawks since coming back and now being a, a valued member of their scouting staff, just went to the Senior Bowl, East-West Shrine game, saw him there, um, you know, helping the Seahawks scout the offensive line. He truly deserves this type of acknowledgement as well. But And then that just kind of leads us into this conversation about, okay, the, the guys who are, you know, maybe have been in, in Seattle's history too long. What about the guys who have been, uh, you know, maybe or it, it's been too short of a span since Wednesday, since when they retired to now. And to me, just like a Cam Chancellor, I think that he just kind of glares out there as a guy that should deserve this honor. To me, the one guy who is on our list here, the probably too early group, is Marshawn Lynch. You, you talked about him a couple of, of episodes ago with me, Corbin, about how just what an iconic player he is, and he absolutely is that. You know, I, I just don't want to put him up in the ring of honor because I want to someday convince him to try to play one more round with, with the Seahawks because I, you know, what a spectacular player that he is. I thought that we might see him during the halftime show with, with Snoop and Dre out there. I was expecting <laughs> to see Marshawn Lynch jump onto a cart and, and ride through the middle of, of that performance. I mean, he is just that type of person personality he is bigger than the Seattle Seahawks and I don't say that very often and so I, I think with all the the respect all of the accolades all of the production um you know that he brought to Seattle he deserves to be on that ring of honor sooner rather than later as well yeah he's gonna be there before too long I think I just don't see it being this year because he's only been out of the league for a couple years I do think he's in that way too early division certainly qualified when you look at the production four straight seasons with 1,200 more rushing yards and double-digit touchdowns. He was the heartbeat of that football team. You could argue Cam Chancellor on defense, but Marshawn Lynch was what made that entire team roll. When he was getting the ground game going, trucking through guys, uh, it inspired the entire team and his personality as well. I think some fans think that he was not, you know, they're like, oh, his attitude, the way he handled interviews and stuff, there's no way he was popular in the locker room. He was beloved in the locker room. Everybody wanted Marshawn Lynch on that football team. 
the coaches loved him. Certainly he created some headaches at times with his personality, but they wouldn't have it any other way with the production they got from him on the field. I've got two other quick names I'm going to throw out here before we wrap up. Doug Baldwin, another one's been, I can't believe I'm saying this, it's been three years since he retired. So maybe we're almost to the point where the Seahawks could consider that one of the best receivers in franchise history. Another key cog on those Super Bowl teams, made a couple of Pro Bowls, just a very savvy route runner. We know the impact that he has made and will continue to make off the field in the Pacific Northwest as well. I think Doug Baldwin, number 89, will be in the ring of honor at some point. But like Lynch, I think it's been a little bit too recently since he retired. And I want to also throw Brandon Meebane out there. And some of our listeners might be thinking, Brandon Meebane, you know, I don't know if he ever made a Pro Bowl, but he was a very underrated part of their defense when they got to the Super Bowl in 2013 and 2014. Stuff in the middle, the belly roll dances after he got sacks and tackled for losses in the backfield, fired up the crowd. And really, one of the few players that you can bridge the good Mike Holmgren teams with the good Pete Carroll teams. He was on both. You can't say that about very many players that were on that Super Bowl team in 2013. Brandon Meebane really stood out there. He played at a high level for a long time on Seattle's defensive line. And so while he may be a long shot with all these other candidates out there, if they did pick him for the ring of honor, I wouldn't bat an eye because I think he had that kind of talent. I think he was that important to the Seahawks finally getting a Lombardi trophy in 2013. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Now make your second listen to Locked on NFL Draft Podcast. Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker bring the NFL draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. They also sometimes have some special guests I've never heard of by the name of Rob Rang. It's free <laughs> and available wherever you get podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and of course, five days a week video streaming on YouTube. Coming up on tomorrow's episode, the Seahawks are going to be switching to more man coverage coming up in 2022. What does that mean for the cornerback group for the Seahawks as they head into free agency? Rob and I will be breaking it all down on our Thursday episode. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Go Hawks.